Hello and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm Brooke Jackson, your host for this episode. Today we are talking with a couple of wonderful leftists about their experiences with the American court system and how they've been supported by their community and by mutual aid. Um, without revealing your names or any details, would each of you like to say hi or hello to our audience? Hi. <laughs> hello. Oh, I'll say hi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we officially unveil today's guests, um, you know, I got to show some love to fellow members of the Channel Zero Network of Anarchist Podcast. So let's hear a little about one of those other cool pods. Do 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 do. One two one two. Tune in for another episode of Marooncast. Marooncast is a down-to-earth Black radical podcast for the people. Our host, hip-hop anarchist Simile the RBG, and sex educator and crochet artist KLC share their reflections on maroons, rebellions, womanism, life, culture, community, trap liberation, and everyday ratchetness. They deliver fresh commentary with the queer, transgender, non-conforming, fierce, funny, southern girls, anti-imperialist, anti-oppression approach. Poly ad and bullshit. Check out episodes of Marooncast on Channel Zero Network, Buzzsprout, SoundCloud, Google, Apple, and Spotify. All power to the people, all pleasure to the people. Peace. And we're back. Friends, thank you for joining me today to talk about the injustice of our justice system. Would you please each uh, actually introduce yourselves and share your pronouns? My name is Alyssa Azar, uh, she, they. Uh, my name is Alexander Dial, uh, he, him. Cool. Thank you. Um, so both of these friendly, lovely folks um, have had to deal with, as I just said, the injustice of our justice system. They've both been arrested and charged with crimes. And uh, Alex has been through kind of the whole system, jail, bail, going to court, living on probation, including having to do community service and reporting to a probation officer. Um, and Alyssa's kind of in the midst of that grinding system with some uncertainty in the future of, of what's going to happen. So why don't we go ahead and, and, you know, if each of you want to take a few minutes and kind of tell us a little bit about your backstory of, you know, the circumstances in which you were um, arrested and, and what happened there. And um, Alex, it's your turn to go first. Okay, yeah. I was arrested on August 17th, uh, 2019 at sort of a big deal to-do street event here in Portland, Oregon. Much ado was made about this thing by the far right, mostly mostly from out-of-town chuds, you know. As usual, it's pretty typical for most of the time for us to get invaded, although it's probably worth noting that they haven't been around lately. <laughs> uh, I got picked up after a couple of well-publicized confrontations. One, the, probably the most famous one, was the the bus incident which I suppose we can get into in detail in a bit here. But uh, I was arrested that day and uh, taken into custody, released, and then subsequently taken back into custody uh, a little later under some, I don't know, probably typically shitty circumstances with regards to how our legal system works here, especially uh, when it comes to cases that are media sensitive, I guess you might say. And uh, uh, today is actually kind of a special day with hmm. regards to all of that, which is something else we'll get into, I suppose, when the time comes. But um, I've been 
put through the ringer and uh, am just now getting out the other end here nearly five years later. Yikes. Okay, I'm going to circle back to more details of, of the bus incident in a second. But Alyssa, if you want to tell a little bit of your story, too, and feel free to throw in some more details, too. Yeah, so I probably should have said this in my intro, but I am an independent journalist. Don't work for anyone but myself and the community. And my situation, actually, um, it was another you know fascist invasion there was a counter protest to a demonstration that was going on uh, countering the Proud Boys. And I was there that day um, as a journalist. I was reporting and covering the event. And it was it was a pretty wild and scary day. I'll get into more detail about that too later. But anyways, um, I would say like, maybe five, six months or so after that day had passed, I had received an indictment in the mail notifying me that a grand jury found me um, guilty and that the DA was pressing charges, and in, including felony charges. And yeah, it's been, it's been really, really difficult. You know, that in conjunction with, you know, something else that happened more recently, just finding myself being targeted for the the journalism and the you know the coverage that I do provide, both by the state and by um, you know uh, just uh, citizen citizens of the United States that are you know members of the far right, um, and yeah, it's it's been hell to say the least. Not in not in a good way. Not the good kind of hell. Yeah. I should have said this more at the top too, of just to really emphasize how grateful I am that you're here and willing to talk about it when you're, you know, in the middle of going through this hell. I mean, that's I, that's got to be incredibly difficult, and I'm just really grateful that you were willing to make the time and talk about it with us. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, my my trial is finally set. It's just a few months away. My trial is in April, so yeah. Definitely a mixed bag of feelings and emotions, for sure. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, Alex, I want to circle back to you. Sure. Because I think the details of of the bus incident, people probably heard the story or will remember it. I certainly Mm -hmm. remember seeing the photo. It's somewhat iconic. Um, If you want to just briefly talk about what happened on that day. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a day like any other and woke up, donned my armor, stepped into the streets to confront <laughs> an invasion of fascists from out of town. You know, uh, regular, regular Thursday stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that particular day, I mean, I've been to a lot of protests. I have been an activist for longer than I've been an adult. And, um, you know, things, things do get sort of predictably hairy, but uh, the, everybody remembers how the, the, the tone in the streets really shifted, probably starting right around 2016, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't really remember that sort of ruckus since, like, the WTO stuff mm-hmm. back in the day, you know? I mean, the, I mean, barring, like, a few other flashes in the pan, but... The situation out there just kept escalating, you know, for years. 
I was down in Southern California um, for the first part of this, of, of that time, you know, and then I moved up here to Portland and I was like, well, I'm still an American. So I guess I'm, I got to go back out there. <laughs> so out there I went. And uh, that day was a mess, you know, I mean, everybody remembers how uh, the, the way that the, the, the right had been touting this event as like a bloodbath. And I mean it mm. in their their words, um, buy guns, said Joe Biggs, you know, or, uh, bring ammunition, get concealed carry permits. Uh, he was showing off a baseball bat covered in spikes that had Trump's name on it, um, specifically related to this event th that day, August uh, 17th, 2019. You know, they were talking about like taking the the streets of Portland and like cleansing them i mean this is all their language you know I'm, I'm, I'm quoting them so we were you know understandably pretty alarmed out here and I, I wasn't running around out there with an affinity group at the time you know i had been out in the streets before then so people some people recognized me but you were doing great opsec wearing your beta cuck shirt too like. <laughs> well you know a lot of people a lot of people ask me about that and uh the answer i i, I usually give people is um you know, I don't think it's always appropriate to make ourselves small and to and and to shrink back from these threats. You know, there's a time to um, to present yourself, and I feel like uh, they were talking about coming here and murdering us, and I was like, well, at least they're going to recognize me. <laughs> they're going to know who they're who they're who they're trying to kill. You know? Yeah. So, you know, that was the, the day really wasn't too extraordinary. I weirdly enough, I mean, it's crazy to say that now, but at the time, in terms of a Portland street event, uh, uh, during those years, it was like, not that weird. In fact, kind of low key, there weren't there weren't really that many really gnarly confrontations I, I, I was party to or saw. But things got really pretty wild uh, uh, when when the Nazi bus came back. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that they they left, and by the time they uh, I confronted them along with you know many other uh, Portlanders up on the bridge, uh, they had left Portland and had turned around and come back to reconfront us. Jeez. And then for listeners yeah. who might not know, you know, talk about what specifically happened with you and them in that bus. Mm hmm. So the uh, we should start, I think, by talking about who was on the bus, because th this has been, uh, you know, uh, contested information uh, okay. in certain parts of the Internet. The people on that bus were primarily hardcore neo-Nazis from a group called the American Guard. Uh, mm -hmm. These were not just like Trump supporters or Second Amendment enthusiasts, although they were both you know what i mean mm -hmm. they these people were uh members of a hate group uh tied to the vinlanders social club which is another uh group of neo-nazis founded by um oh what is his name brian james and they've been linked to a handful of murders here in the united states so they're very dangerous people and i knew who they were that's the thing i knew who was on that bus so 
when I saw them on the bridge after having already watched them leave town, I was like, they came back, you know, mm-hmm. there were some people down there uh, with me in the streets. A couple of people I had, you know, sometimes you sort of snowball with people that you meet out there uh, and you roll together for safety, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was out there with a couple of people I had met and um, I saw the bus up there on the, on the bridge and we talked about it. And I was like, that's the American guard. You know, they came back and uh, we talked it over a little bit. And I said, well, let's go get them. And so we went up there and uh, we didn't actually assault the bus, which uh, is was a popular uh, meme at the time of right wing media espoused in particular by our very own fascist propagandist, Andy No. Ugh. We didn't attack the bus, unless you count like a couple of thrown plastic half full water bottles and uh, me flipping them the bird, you know. People stood around, they shouted at the bus, uh, we heckled them, and then they opened the doors, and the first person who came out of that bus had a, an eight inch blade in his right hand. Hmm. They had been brandishing both a pistol and a hammer through the windows before they stepped outside. So we knew they were armed. Mm -hmm. The doors opened, they came outside and for better or for worse, an elderly man who was among us rushed to the doors uh, (laughs) and, and apparently startled the first Nazi, the one with the knife who fell on his ass just immediately. And, and right. Yeah. And, uh, and a little tussle ensued between uh, this old man and this Nazi. And uh, during that uh, scuffle, the man on, in the bus, uh, one of the other neo-Nazis, an American guard member named Mark Kwan, the one who had been brandishing the hammer through the windows, he stepped into the doorway uh, above the fight going on in the door of the bus and started swinging this claw hammer down at the skull of this elderly man who at that point was losing the fights that, that he had gotten into uh, and was in the process of being abducted into the bus by the formerly knife-wielding Nazi who had dropped his MAGA hat. Mm. I saw what was happening. I set down my water bottle, uh, which was made of metal. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want anyone to get hurt. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I ran up there and... I seized the hammer in mid-swing from Mark Kwan, Mr. Kwan, and um, together with uh, some of my allies from Portland, we wrestled it away. The Nazis fell back into the bus. They released the elderly man. I tossed their hammer back inside, where it, you know, it allegedly glanced Mr. Kwan, although there are no victims in my case. And nobody was ever able to contact him for some reason. Hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and mysterious uh, Mr. Kwan. It's, it's wild, yes. The, Mr. Kwan, if he exists. That was written in my uh, case file by my attorney. Mr. Kwan, if he exists. Uh, and the prosecution never followed up on whether he exists. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> the door is closed. Um, I kicked in one of the panels on the doors, you know, just having witnessed an attempted murder in process. My blood was a little up. I do admit it. And uh, <laughs> uh, a, a nameless hero released a cloud of 
uh, tear gas into the bus, and the bus sped away down the completely open lane in front of them that they could have taken at any time. Hmm. And uh, yeah, that was the story. That's the bus incident. Uh, yeah. The whole confrontation took, I don't know, maybe six seconds, perhaps. And it uh, informed my life for nearly five years. Yeah. Were you immediately arrested at that point? I was not immediately arrested. I was arrested nearly an hour and a half later. Okay. Yeah. I had an opportunity to help some other people. Yeah. So that's interesting. It was still the, you know, same day, same event, but a little while later in that. And were at the time, uh, were you arrested for the bus incident specifically? Or I'm for- assuming so. Uh, it's tough to say. Uh, the The paperwork I got is a little unclear as to what the probable cause was. It cites reports that they, the Portland police had received reports from people who, I mean, the, the truth is that Andy No poached that footage from Elijah Schaefer and they gave it directly to the Portland police who took it as evidence and snatched me up at the first opportunity. Um, but it might not have been that video that did it. It could have been something else they referenced. The paperwork isn't really clear on that. I mean, my case is closed now, so I can talk about it all. But it's tough to say really what it is precisely that got the cops to get me. But when they tackled me, this gaggle of uh, bacon backs, <laughs> you know, and stomped, and stomped me into the pavement uh, yeah. and tried to tase me, uh, but couldn't because I was wearing a, a bulletproof vest. They told me I was under arrest for assault. Hmm. So, you know, I mean, but that's really all they're going to tell you. The cops are not uh, really well known for for knowing things. <laughs> yeah. So that's a really interesting contrast to um, Alyssa, what you were saying, because, you know, you went to the event and you went home and it was months later. So um, I'm curious if you are able to talk at all about um, what actually happened the day of the event and then what you were later accused of doing and, and um, charged with. Yeah. I'll share as much as I can without, you know, like, like I said before, my situation is ongoing and my trial is in April. So, and it's, you know, it's not that I have anything to hide at all, but you know, we, we all know here how the state works and how they love to use everything and anything against us. So, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the event that I was document documenting and reporting on was a counter to um, the Proud Boys, and um, this was in September of 2021. So it was uh, during a time when things were really, really tense in mm-hmm. the Pacific Northwest. This is after you know a lot of growing tension, a lot of escalated escalation on the. This, from the fascists, um, you know, after being used to night after night at protests of them doing drive-bys and throwing, you know, IUDs yeah. and pipe bombs at us and just, you know, just mm-hmm. a bunch of shit that's been going, that had been going on in, yeah. um, in Portland and surrounding areas. So, um, yeah, we were, we were at a park and... Also, I just want to <laughs> disclaimer, my memory is like pretty fucking shitty, especially since then. Um, mm. That day yeah. I actually got punched in the head by 
proud boy who's an MMA fighter and like four times my size. And I got a major mm. concussion that I'm like still Jeez. dealing with. And then also trauma hasn't really been great for my memory. Yeah. <laughs> but no. yeah, we, we were all in a park and um, the group of leftists who were there was not very large. Um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head how many people were there, but uh, compared to other events, it was a relatively small crowd. And up until the point that I'm about to get to, there was just a lot of like back and forth yelling and whatnot. And eventually the Proud Boys got closer and closer. And um, the group of leftists somehow ended up being surrounded. There was basically a circle of Proud Boys just trying to intimidate everyone. And um, up to this point, even when everyone was circled, they were still just standing there in an attempt to intimidate everybody, just trying to look tough. And what really kind of sparked things off is um, I remember I was kind of standing like in the middle of the circle and there was like a group of people in front of me who allegedly, I don't know if it's a flag that they had or if they stole it from the fash, but um, I believe it was an American flag and they set it on fire on the ground. That's what it was. That's what that flag's for, yo. I I remember I was like kneeling down filming um, and then uh, it just like popped off so quick. As soon as they saw that the flag was on fire, they got so triggered. They... (sighs) came in and like pushed the people right in front of me and like just yeah that's when kind of shit hit the fan like fuck where do i go from here (laughs) there's just so much that happened you know the reason they did that i mean i don't mean to interrupt your flow here but they no no please go ahead the, the reason they did that is because they have their own camera people they've got all these amateur you know uh right wing grifters trying to sell footage and it, and also the the Proud Boys and their ilk, they sell this footage to each other to get each other to join. So they see they see Antifa burning a flag, and if no one retaliates, they all look weak. Yeah, you know 100%. what I mean. Yeah, so that's why they rushed y'all right there. You know, I mean, I'm not. It's not a justification, but that's the deal. Yeah, they definitely have a game plan for sure. Oh yeah, and yeah, I. I just remember things being really chaotic. There's a lot of people that got injured that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at one point, I mean, before that, like I was like walking around filming, taking pictures, and like I was just getting threats left and right. I'm like, what? <laughs> For what? Like being a photographer? Like what? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like this one lady kept being like, you and me, we're going to tango. And it's like, it's so funny because it's, <laughs> it's the lady that like, all the right wingers and Andy know keep calling like an innocent bystander. And she just kept like, com- like she kept like following me and she's like, you and me, we're going to tango. And I'm like, girl, I am not here to fight anybody. Like I'm <laughs> like, just leave me alone. Let me take my fucking picture. Things just, yeah, things just got pretty crazy. Um, some, some of them were like going after individuals to like, you know, attack them violently. Other people were going towards, it wasn't a gazebo, but there was like this covered area where a bunch of people had stuff at. Um, 
Mm. I had some of my stuff there too. I remember having like a charger and uh, I think my phone was over there and like people were going over there, like some of the fascists were going over there and like stealing signs and stealing people's shit and stuff. And yeah, it, it was just really bad. Um, the Like one of the last things I remember because so I got, I got, uh, like I said, I got punched in the head. I didn't faint or anything, but like, it was a really, it was a really bad punch. And I stood up right away. And at that point, the cops had like come in um, and Mm. they declared it an unlawful assembly, I believe. After you got assaulted? Of course. As they do. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) They declared it an unlawful assembly. It was really weird because like, the leftists were trying to leave like out of the park and go the way that like the cops were telling them to go. Cause it, it was definitely not a situation where people could like stand their ground. Like, I think that was like the smart thing to do at the time. And I just remember like I was being escorted by like a medic and like, I think it was like two medics actually holding me like, I don't know. I couldn't really like, <laughs> like see much or like whatever. But mm. I just remember thinking, like, what the fuck is happening? Because, like, as we're trying to get out of there, and the cops like were coming in, declaring it an unlawful assembly. It wasn't like it wasn't any longer just the Proud Boys that we had. Like everyone had had that confrontation with beforehand, like leading up to that moment. All of a sudden, there was this new group of Proud Boys larger than the group that had already been there all marching in together with like shields and weapons like coming towards us like walking through the cops walking with the cops and it's just like Uh it it, it was just like the perfect example of like cops and clan go hand in hand like it Mm -hmm. was like they were coming towards the group together even though they had just declared it unlawful like these guys were still welcome to come in and mind you, like, you know, most people were like, just like I said, they're just trying to get out of there. Or, you know, there was also quite a few people who were hurt that day. So, yeah, it, it was just, it was chaotic in the worst way possible. Yeah. And so then a few months go by and, and I think you said it was a letter that came in the mail? That yeah, I got, a, like, that's I got how you... a letter in the mail that um, said I was indicted. You're a crimer now. <laughs> I'm trying to, sorry, I'm, like, trying to separate my charges from, like, my most recent bullshit arrest. Um, Oh, God. No, I can totally relate to that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I'm being charged with a felony riot, unlawful use of tear gas, and disorderly conduct. Tear gas. Like, you're deploying tear gas. I know. The best part about it is, like... (laughs) uterus is literally beyond fucked up because of the like frequent exposure to the state's deployment of tear gas like yeah that's right i totally forgot about that that's like a thing oh it's definitely a thing i know multiple people who yeah i'm (laughs) i'm the bad guy here (laughs) okay so um so after you get this letter in the mail i assume it's, it's telling you you have to appear at some point probably or something like that yeah yeah um and so then you didn't you know didn't get didn't have to go to jail you didn't have to post bail for that but 
they did you did get picked up by the police right they they pulled you in and harassed you a time or two do you feel like talking about that can you talk about that yeah you're talking about the most recent arrest um yes (laughs) um so yeah that um let's see i'm like what is time that happened probably like just under a month ago um I, um, I was, it was the day after Christmas, um, and I, I was pulling in to park in front of my place, and the second I parked, I see this white SUV, it didn't look like a police vehicle, it was just a white SUV, was coming towards me, um, from the opposite direction, and as soon as I was, like, opening my door it stopped and parked right next to my car the sirens go on oh geez um, and then at that point there was another there's an additional four to five cop cars that were parked on the side of the street all undercover vehicles four to five yeah yeah wow and um all of their sirens and their lights turned on and i was super confused i had no idea what this could be about so yeah they um i'm like how into detail do i go again this is also like an ongoing thing this is very recent so um yeah you know i'm more just looking for like what the experience of being you know arrested like was like so you know i had like i feel like if i was in that moment i would be like is they coming for the guy next to me is there someone over there like (laughs) because it would be hard to believe that that many police had shown up for little old me. Yeah, no. You warrant that sort of turnout. I mean, come on. Why? No, for, for sure. It it was very bizarre. At the moment, I was kind of like, yeah, I, I would ma- I would say I was mainly just really fucking confused, especially because they would not tell me why I was like, first I was like, am I being pulled over? Like, what's going on? And then they had me mm-hmm. get out of the car they, they wouldn't tell me anything. I It felt like I was being kidnapped, which I was kidnapped. And, you know, I, I went to the precinct, still did not tell me, like, what was going on. They said that they wanted to question me. I said lawyer. The questioning never happened. They didn't <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> it wasn't until after I, like, so we went to the precinct, and then they took me to um, the justice center. Um, it wasn't until after I was booked that I even found out what my charges are, which got changed like a million times. But Oof. yeah, it it was really scary because that was almost a full day. Because that when I when they picked me up, it was quite early in the morning, and that whole day, like I didn't know why I was in there. I didn't I, I didn't know anything. I just knew that they had me, and they have the power to do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. So I I was terrified. I, you know, I was like, I, I have no way to like contact anyone and tell them what's going on. I was like, my, you know, my partner is probably trying to reach me and it was like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Yeah. It, again, like <laughs> a lot of, a lot of, uh, a, bit, a very mixed bag of, of emotions and feelings, but yeah, that type of stuff is really scary, especially when, you know, let's be realistic when you're in that kind of situation we don't really have any power to do anything. 
And it mm. fucking sucks feeling so helpless and hopeless. And, you know, they know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, where, where do I start? <laughs> I, I got to tell you, that st- the story of that arrest there, uh, that's worse than I thought it was going to be. I, I wasn't anticipating it to be quite so uh, persistently merciless. Like, the, mm-hmm. I mean, they can just detain you and not tell you shit. But mm-hmm. a lot of the time, you know, they don't hang on to you for the whole day and never say anything to you. I mean, because the other thing is that cops, cops are cruel, uh, but also they're, they're like apathetic, you know, like some some ass white pig is going to say something to you, you know. Or some someone who's just working a desk that day is just going to be like, oh, uh, here, you know, and say whatever. Yeah. And it's wild to me that um, that they were so dedicated to keeping you in the dark that day, the whole day. Yeah, it's intense. It's worse than I yeah. thought it was going to be. Fucking yeah. peasants. Yeah, it's bad. Um, so I, again, I'm interested in the in the contrast here because uh, Alex, if you want to talk about you know, you were arrested that day. We started talking about that. So you kind of knew why you were being arrested, but then you also got booked. And and I, I actually don't know if you spent some jail time right then or if you got out sooner or what happened. But if you want to yeah. tell yours. Yeah, yeah. The story of uh, what happened to me on the day that was the day was, uh, I don't know, you know, they didn't really seem all that interested in me, actually. I mean, I kicked my ass a little bit, of course, like they do. Like the arrest was like six officers and they like stepped on my fingers and tried to tase me and got frustrated when they couldn't and then, you know, knelt on my head and stuff. And and I was like, what am I under arrest for? And they answered me with one word and they just went assault. And I went, who? Because I, you know, I mean, it had been a busy day. So... They they took me in that day, and I was stuck in holding. I never actually made it to jail proper, you know. Oh, wow. I just sat. Yeah, yeah. They just they t- but they when they took me to the station, they stripped me down completely to my underpants. Yeah, they, did. And they, put, they put me in a paper <laughs> jumpsuit. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They got me. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, they they saw they saw it all. Uh, yeah, there. I have a bunch of boyfriends at the police station. Um, oh, fuck cops. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. It didn't go down like that. I promise. Uh, you know, they, 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 they stuck me in a in a cell. They left those plastic fucking cuffs on me. Uh, honestly, well, you know, if I'm starting from the beginning, honestly, the first thing that happened was they they threw me in a paddy wagon and let me sit in there for I don't know an hour and a half, maybe. Uh, and they threw, they threw, they threw a woman in the room next to me. Cause you know, those are side by sides. It's like two long horse stalls next to each other. And there's, you can't see into the other one, but there are these vents, these corrugated vents, you know? So there's air exchange and you can hear everything, but you can't see. And there's someone in there who's crying and screaming in pain. I mean, oh uh, oh yeah. Like somebody was hurt, you know? So I started talking to her and I was like, Hey, 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 what's happened to you? You know? And she was like, my shoulder, my shoulder is broken. Oh my God. And I was like, I was like, are you sure it's broken? And she was like, yes. And I was like, did the police do it to you? And she said, yes. And I was like, do they have you in cuffs? 
And she was like, yes. And I was like, okay. Um, yeah. So I just started talking to her, you know, uh, I told her my name and I, and I just did, you know, I, I just, I just started to talk to her, you know, and I was like, look, mm -hmm. they're going to take us somewhere and they're, you're, you're probably going to get medical attention, but I mean, they might not give it to you. So I was like, the thing you got to do is stay calm and just breathe, you know, because the pain's not going to stop, but you can manage it. So you got to breathe. So we sat there and we breathed and we drove uh, after, eventually, I mean, after a long, long time, but she was in a ton of pain. And I later uh, reconnected with her after a long time, yeah, nine months or something. And it turned oh. out to be, turned out to be, uh, well, well, I don't know that I have her permission to talk about her, but um, well, she, she made a name for herself twerking on the streets. <laughs> Did you um, twerking. She was twerking on the streets that day. Okay, I heard. Yeah. Her. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, I, I doubt, I doubt she would mind uh, being brought up here, but I don't have her explicit permission. So, uh, but you know, um, and she said she'd been looking for me. She was like, I didn't know that was you, that was hmm. talking to me. And when when we pulled over into the police station, I started yelling at the cops. I was like, you need to get her out of here and get her help. She's hurt. And they just left her in there. Ugh. They took me out and they processed me right away and they just left her in there. Fuckers. Uh, yeah. And she's in there like, I mean, practically screaming still, you know, she was yeah. in a lot of pain. It was, it was terrible. Mm. And we've been sitting in there for over an hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't feel my thumbs for a couple of days after that ride. Cause they didn't take the cuff. They didn't take my cuffs off even after they brought me into jail uh, or in, not into jail, but into the building and processed me and stripped me down. They left those fucking cups on me. Oh. They took them off, they put them back on and then they stuck me in a freezing cold concrete room in a paper jumpsuit. And uh, detective oh. Clifton came in and asked me for my side of the story. And I said, lawyer, well, <laughs> 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 actually what I, I, I told him that I, I wanted to wait for my attorney. And then he came in later with some other cop. Uh, who was really rude to me. And then Clifton came back and spoke to me again. And he was really nice. And I was like, oh, so you're a good cop, right? <laughs> and then they, they, they didn't come back to talk to me again after that. Yeah, of course. Call him out. <laughs> so you were in um, holding, you said, for the whole day. And then... Uh, I was. I was there until the, until the nighttime, yeah. Okay. And then did you get out after that? Or did they then move you over in a jail or I walked out on OR. I walked out on my own recognizance wow. that day. They, they stomped my ass into the street. They put me in a paper jumpsuit. They, they, they zip tied me and, and uh, and then they, and they, they immediately lost my shoes. Like I, I they, my shoe, like when they let me out, they <laughs> kept my clothes because my clothes were evidence. You see? Um, yeah. I mean, I just think they like the way I smell. <laughs> but they kept, they kept my clothes. They lost my shoes, and then they turned me loose. Uh, my uh, my roommate at, at the time he came to get me, and uh, uh, I was in. I was dressed like an extra from Miami Vice. I had like these <laughs> giant, like two big pants on, like jeans, and this huge like vaporwave Hawaiian shirt, and um, and these orange prison Crocs. You know, they give you these like foam sandals to wear when you're in jail. I still oh, wow. have those. Yeah, I use them to. I use them when I shovel shit out of the barn. They're perfect. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I have a, a person yeah. close to me who's been arrested many times and, and pretty much every time there's some piece of something that was on him, clothing, shoes, something that was in a pocket, whatever goes missing. Yep. Yeah. So weird. Hmm. For me, it was cash. <laughs> oh, oh you know, they, I got my cash back. I had like 30 bucks or something. I, they, they, I got that back, but. You know, what's fucked up too is, um, so, uh, some comrades, helped host a fundraiser for me like a few mm. weeks before my arrest for my um def- for my uh legal fees for my trial that's coming up in April and I had around 2k in cash um and uh I didn't realize this till recently because I was searching every single like space and every single like drawer and just wanted to make sure but yeah, they uh, when they when they like raided my house, they t- they took all of that cash. Oh Seize my god! That is the thing that they will do. They didn't. No, here's the thing though. They didn't. It's not listed on the evidence. <sighs> they stole it. Oh, that's what you call. That's what you call stealing. They Damn. actually they actually stole that cash along with intentionally destroying my camera and equipment. That's the old Jesus. piggy discount. <laughs> you know, now that I'm thinking about that day in particular, uh, um, I'm recalling that uh, my my uh, my partner just reminded me that uh, at first the cops had said to my roommates that I was being held, and they were like talking about like three thousand dollars bail or something, like a bunch of money Jeez. to get me out. And hmm. but here's the thing. When they were having that conversation with them, I was already out and I was waiting to get picked up. I was just out there like, waiting for, but I had no phone and no money, you know? So I was just sitting there, uh, but the cops were like, just wrong. Like either they're full of shit or they're incompetent either way. So it's like, I mean, both are no- true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm standing out there in like, you know, my prison Crocs and, my shitty clothes, but I still have those clothes too. I still have them. Why would I throw them away? <laughs> we should we should auction them off at, for Alyssa's legal fees. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't see. Oh, God, you know, I mean, if anybody's a size forty nine uh, in 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 pants and a medium in shirts, yeah, absolutely. Wow, excellent. You gotta love them. You gotta. No, Alex, do I remember correctly though that you you did have to post bail at some point? See, here's the thing. When they released me on OR, the first, the, the day of, they let me out that night, right? And it was like, my charges were bullshit. I had like attempted assault to, and uh, God, I don't know, disorderly conduct, something like that. They were buckus charges, nonsense charges, right? And I don't have a criminal record. Um, so they were just like, okay, bye. And I, I walked out. And then uh uh, later, when just before I was going to be arraigned, um, I got like right before my arraignment, and this is a bit of a jump forward in the story because a couple other weird things happened uh, with the police, like just coming to my house in unmarked cars and stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah, it was real weird. You know, Alyssa, the story you told me it kind of rings a bell. Um, but uh, they. I got a call from my uh, public defender at the time who this was the night before my arraignment uh, about a month after my first arrest. And he was like, Hey, your charges have been uh, altered and 
some of them have been amplified and you have new charges. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? And he was like, well, here's the charges. And he lays them out for me. And it's like assault two, riot times two. Like, like it's a, it's a litany of felonies and a measure 11 charge. And I'm like, okay, what does this mean? And he goes, you're going to jail tomorrow. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it, it, so they didn't tell him about this until like 4.45 p.m. Just before the whole Justice Center closed the night before my arraignment the next day at like 9.15. So I had like 16 hours to get my entire life in order to get ready for going away and having a bail of like $25,000. Yeah, right. And I was like, okay, I guess this is like the story of what happens to me. Uh. Yeah. And then um, I was in jail. <laughs> and while I was in jail, I was I, I was subject to what's called a secret indictment, wherein they bring you into a, a, a room without your attorney and hit you with new charges. And anything you say during that process can be used against you in court if you go to trial, but you don't have representation, but that's okay for some reason. And also you're not in a courtroom, you're in a tiny room with a phone looking at a TV screen at a courtroom somewhere else in the city. And that doesn't violate habeas corpus, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got several new charges, two of which were also felonies. And my bail overnight became uh, over $500,000. <laughs> country is yeah. so cool. It was great. Yeah. It was great. And, and I was like, Dope. I love being an Oregonian. Yeah. yeah. Or they so, wake you up. If you're in jail, they don't tell you anything, you know? Like, so that morning at like 4.30 a.m., some guard is like shoving me in the side with a flashlight. And I wake up like, ah, you know, because <laughs> I'm in jail and I don't know anybody. Mm-hmm. And they go, they go, you got a meeting. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I have a meeting, you know? So they get you up and then, then they strip you down and look in your butt. And then they send you out <laughs> into the hall with a bunch of other dudes and uh, presumably who all just had their butts looked in. Um, so you have at least that much in common, your butt buddies. And then you go down the hall to this big room and you sit in there with, there was like, I think 20 men in this room. And it's just a big naked concrete room with a bench and these blistering fluorescent lights and a toilet. There's nothing between the toilet and the rest of the room. Like if you need to go, you got an audience, you know? Yeah. It's your recital. Uh, and, uh, and I sat there, we all sat there for nearly two hours before anything happened. Oh my God. Just sit there. And you know, there's these dudes in there who like met and knew each other. They were like, yo man, what's up? And they're telling these hilarious stories about knife fights. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it actually was kind of a funny story, but it was about <laughs> knives. So I don't know how funny it was. And then, uh, eventually this guard comes in, he opens the door and he's, and I swear this is true. He says this, he goes, so he must do this every time. I'm sure of it, right? He loves his job. He goes, gentlemen, welcome to the busiest courtroom in Multnomah County. <laughs> and I'm like, courtroom? We're in a yeah. giant urinal. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a latrine, dude. <laughs> so he starts just, he grabs dudes two at a time. And it takes another several hours. So we're all just sitting in this room for like, we've been awake, all of us since like 4.30. By the time I go into this tiny hallway and enter a carpeted room with a TV screen and a phone in it, 
it's like eight, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I sit down, I pick up the phone. There's some attorney there and a judge. The attorney does not represent me. He is in fact a fucking prosecutor. And there's a judge who, I don't even remember the judge's name. It's on my paperwork somewhere. Silver maybe. Um, and I got slapped with uh, several new charges, a couple of them felonies, uh, one of them another Measure 11 charge. And then they gave me some paperwork and they sent me the fuck out. And then my public defender contacted me eight hours later that night to say he just heard that that happened. Wow. It's a good time. Man, that's mm -hmm. some wild ass shit. Yeah, right? Especially when you look at the severity of these crimes, right? And it's like, I mean, I still have all the paperwork. It says right at the top, secret indictment. <laughs> and I'm like, what the blue fuck is a secret indictment? And it, all it really means is they don't have to disclose it to defense before they indict you. They don't tell your lawyer. They just do it. And then your lawyer finds out at their convenience, essentially. Holy fuck. Okay, that's got to be at least a chapter title in your autobiography. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the busiest courtroom in Multnomah County. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And my, my bail, uh, that, that morning went from around $227,000 to over $540,000. Yeah. And I was like, well, I thought I was fucked last night. Now you're the secret son of a billionaire. So you made bail just fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh -huh. the, the illegitimate boy of an heiress. All of something. those things are true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I may be the most interesting Antifa member there ever was. <laughs> so you laughed at that half million dollars and, and lit it on fire and walked out, right? I did. When I laughed, I didn't make a sound. Just an emoji floated out over my head. <laughs> and everybody got it. <laughs> That's how it went down. Oh, okay. So, but more seriously, you did have yeah. to post bail and you did post bail. I did. Yes. I had to borrow a great deal of that money and uh, the rest of it was money that I had saved. It's my savings. Okay. So I became poor. Oh, I mean, I was already pretty poor, but I became like poor. Okay. Did you have people in your life who loaned it to you or, you know, how did you, how were you able to... I was able to borrow some of it from my um, uh, an old friend of mine loaned me a great deal of it actually, and didn't I, at no interest. So I mean, it really is who you know. I got to tell you, uh, and I mean, looking back, uh, I don't know where I would be without her because my hearing, my sentencing hearing, was three years later. I'd have been just locked up until whenever. Yeah, if you hadn't been able to come up with bail, you would just be mm -hmm. sitting in yeah. there that whole time. I mean, you know, that's justice. Okay. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. That's how that works. Uh-huh. It is, though. Um, it is how that works. You know? When I was in there, I met a guy. Uh, I met Well, I met a lot of dudes in there, but I met this one guy who had been in, just in county there. Just right, right there, you know, in Inverness, uh, for 17 months for a DUI. Holy cow! Wow. <laughs> he was just in jail. I mean, people who drive drunk should be in jail forever. It's my personal opinion, so that's that's <laughs> totally fine. Nothing wrong with our jail system. That's the proper way <laughs> to deal with. Problems. I suppose. Yeah, we, 
you know, we, we can infer that from that. That sounds reasonable. <laughs> no counseling whatsoever. Don't try and help them. No, no. Helping people is not what we do. No, not at all. Okay. Moving on from that fun. Um, mm-hmm. So you have both talked about um, having lawyers and I'm going to, I'm going to flip back to Alyssa here. Is your representation court appointed or have you been able to find um, a, a different, a private attorney or what have you th- to represent you? Yeah. So for my upcoming trial in April, I was, ac- I was able to, um, you know, get a, get a private attorney and, you know, pay for a retainer. And I'm super grateful for that, especially now um, because for uh, for my new bullshit that's going on, I have a public defender and I'm very aware of, you know, the shortage right now and how spread thin that they are. Mm-hmm. And it's really unfortunate, but also, you know, from, from my perspective of like needing help, it fucking sucks. So I am so grateful that I was able to get those attorneys on retainer. And mm-hmm. honestly, if it wasn't for this community, that's not something that I would have been able to do. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I ask as though I don't know the answer. <laughs> so um, uh, Antifa International was able to help me with a good portion of my retainer. And cool. the rest of it came awesome. from fundraising from the community um and you know just different people um in the leftist space different mutual aid groups you know boosting that fundraiser and all that you know that that was a huge help you know and it's still something that i'm raising funds for i owe my lawyer fuck over twenty two thousand dollars as of right now that's a lot of fucking money that i (laughs) i've never seen that much money in my life um and so yeah if if it wasn't for you know fundraising efforts and stuff it's yeah i I would be fucked huge same you know i my private representation was secured entirely by community donations all of it really incredible yeah, I I had a public defender until um, we set up the GoFundMe uh, and raised the money to get the representation who ultimately got me the deal that I did. Yeah, it was just a hundred percent community funded. Now, did you guys have to both put in a lot of time and work for yourselves to do the GoFundMe's, or have other people been uh, part of creating those and and getting the word out there and such? Uh. I was in jail for most of that. My partner and my close friends spearheaded the handling of all that stuff. I was like completely incapacitated. You can't do shit in jail. Everything that you need done in the outside world has to be handled by someone else. All of it. So it was mostly my partner. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the, but I mean, word had sort of spread about what had happened to me. And, and of course, there was, there was the footage and the picture. Um, so in a way, um, it was kind of a double-edged sword that uh, things had been so publicized about what had happened to me or whatever it was I was involved in. Um, because people were like, well, fuck that. And they sent, they sent the money. And yeah. ultimately rescued me. Really, when you get right down to it, that's what, it, uh, that's what happened. That's awesome. Yeah, even though um, 
you know, I, I've been out. Um, it's been primarily other people. And for that, I could not be more grateful because just, I think people really don't realize the emotional and mental strain that this kind of thing has on people. And it's, I know it sounds really simple and like such a minute thing, but like I physically, mentally, emotionally just would not, am not capable of doing that on my own right now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm able to boost stuff and make posts, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm definitely really grateful for the help that I've had. Yeah. I hear that. You know, it, it's, it's intentional. Uh, the, the system is designed to crush your spirit to keep yeah. you from advocating for yourself. It's part of why they, they levy these uh, immense fines. I mean, you know, $540,000, you know, they're just like this guy, this is the guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I didn't realize I was quite that dangerous uh, to the community. Um, but apparently uh, Mike Schmidt feels that way. <laughs> we know how hero. much you, you love yeah mike schmidt he's your boy so yeah, just like friends. we do with healthcare in this country if you uh if you need to get a decent lawyer to fight bogus mm. charges go fund me well <laughs> like here like don't get sick cucks what are you doing are you getting sick i guess you don't deserve to be jeans <laughs> Oh, good times. Fun times. Um, okay, we're going to end up running over our usual length of episode, but I'm totally okay with that because I feel like this conversation we're having is really interesting and important and we're just starting to dig into um, some of the bigger community support aspects of it, which is, of course, what Live Like the World is Dying is all about is how we prepare as a community uh, and and live together in the end times. Um. So Alex, you ultimately took a plea on your charges. Why? Yep. What if you hadn't? Uh, well, so the short version of why I took the plea was my attorney said to me, your cases were, because I had two cases open. That's the thing. Okay. It wasn't just the bus incident. There was this other thing with some dumbass, and he's fine, right? I mean, I, I, I barely touched him. Uh that ended up being um, another Measure 11 case. And the state, that was a stretch, even even by the state's own standards of like over-prosecuting. Uh, it was a bullshit case. But had we gone to trial, having two separate Measure 11 cases open would have made me a very vulnerable defendant uh, and would have closed the door for me to use a certain um, uh, a legal avenue to avoid the mandatory minimum sentence. And Wedge felt that the prudent thing to do would be to take a deal. And he felt he could get me a pretty good deal, partially because he felt the state's cases were actually pretty weak. Mm -hmm. uh, and he didn't believe that the prosecution uh, knew what they were talking about. And that, <laughs> Ended up being true, uh, mm -hmm. as we all saw at my sentencing hearing with my um, doddering, staggering, stuttering fool of a prosecutor tripping all over herself <laughs> and then waddling out. 
uh, in disgrace. <laughs> That's Nicole Herman. Shout out to you, Nicole. Loser. Um, if you hadn't taken uh, a plea, you mm-hmm. were facing some pretty substantial time, right? Potentially, yes. The The fear was that if I was facing any time, I was facing a minimum of 70 months hard time. Yes. No access to programs, uh, no time off regardless of any other circumstance, uh, stuck in prison for all that time. And that would be the minimum. Okay. So I would be f- like 46 years old by the time I got out. Um, all for a pair of cases with uh, no injured parties. <laughs> Yikes. Um, so Alyssa, on your uh, um, charges that are the trials coming up here in April, um, is there any chance they might offer you a plea deal on that? Uh, I was actually already offered a plea deal. Okay. That we turned down because it was a really shitty plea deal. Mm. Um, they wanted me to uh, plead guilty to everything um, and uh, do three years in jail. What? <laughs> yeah. Nope. You're so generous. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God. Three years because someone gave you a concussion? Great. <laughs> so yeah. Cool. It's a gift with purchase. Damn. Except you didn't even purchase the thing. It's a That's gift atrocious. With it's just bad. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you think there's I, any chance, uh, or does your lawyer think there's a chance they'll offer you another plea deal before this thing goes to trial, or maybe there's just no way to know? Yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure right now. Okay. Mm. Yeah. It's tough to I, say, you know. My We, we were certain um, before the before the first uh, hearing back when I had a bunch of co-defendants in one of the riot cases, which was a, that hearing took all fucking day, by the way, because that was COVID times. We all did it through video. It was a nightmare, but also very <laughs> funny. Um, we were certain that the state was going to offer us something, anything. And they were like, no, we spent six hours on a video call and nothing happened. And I was still looking at all these charges exactly as laid out before, despite the incredibly weak evidence for most of them. It's wild, you know, like even Wedge at the time, my attorney, he was surprised. He was like, uh, nothing happened, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, civil servants, they get paid for showing up for the day. So they don't give a fuck how much of your time it wastes. Yeah, well, that prosecutor, he quit his job halfway through my case. <laughs> he, like, isn't a prosecutor anymore. And, he, you know, I got to be honest. I'm sure that was because of you. No, well, I like to take the credit. But <laughs> he he just, he really had the air of a dude who was quitting his job. <laughs> like, he didn't care at all. Uh, like, I, I, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's just tough yeah. to say, though. You never know how the state's going to behave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Alyssa, I hate to ask this question, but what kind of time are you facing if they don't get a they don't give you a plea deal and and they find you guilty? I mean, I'm like, what? I don't know off the top of my head. Um, okay, I don't know if you had Measure Eleven stuff in in yours or any of that. Yeah, I do. In my most recent arrest, there's I'm facing six extremely bullshit 
felony, but six all felony charges, including Jeez. one measure measure eleven charge. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to remember off the top of my head what the minimum is just for felony riot alone. Um, it must be more than three years. Felony riot, uh, I believe it is like three to five years. But there's different degrees of riot. Felony riot is, you know, it's a bad one. I had to. There's a lot that can happen, of course, in between now and then. I'm just, okay, let's back away from the worst case scenario because that's too depressing and awful to think of. And it's not going to happen because you're too awesome for that. So as you have this trial coming up in April, um, what kind of things are you doing to get ready and how are people you know we talked about the fundraising component but like you know i don't know other things um, psychological or or getting life in order in certain ways or you know i don't i don't know you tell me (laughs) i mean um honestly for the good amount of like this past year my mental health was like complete shit like i was probably in like the worst spot that i've been in in like a really long time and you know that that's for you know uh, a few various reasons um you know also a bunch of like undealt with trauma that I hadn't confronted beforehand um but it, but it was really really bad you know I took a pretty long long break from social media um and I spent a lot of time unfortunately stressing out about you know impending doom <laughs> but um you know the past few months i i don't know if this is the best way to go about it or not but i've kind of just been trying to not think about it and just kind of take things day by day and just you know enjoy the time that i do have i don't i you know i'm not not saying anything's going to happen but something very well might you know there's definitely a chance that i do go to jail um so yeah, honestly, lately I I've just been trying my best to to not think about it and uh, just kind of enjoy the time that I do have. Trying to get better at reaching out for help and asking for help when I want and need it because that's something I've struggled with my whole life. But mm-hmm. you know, there's you know there's a community and a lot of people who have been offering their help and. You know, it took me some time to, like, get it in my head that, like, no, these are people that genuinely care and do want to help and be there for you. So you don't have to go through this alone. (laughs) I love you all. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's made a huge difference, too, Um, you know, having that mindset and taking people up on, you know, different offers and things and letting people in and letting people be there for me. Um, yeah, it's made a huge difference in a lot of ways, but predominantly my mental health. Mm-hmm. So also Lexapro. I'm a huge fucking stoner too, which was like my favorite way to decompress. But now like my pre-trial conditions for this shit, yep. I can't yep. do any drugs or uh, drink alcohol, including yep. weed, even though it's legal here. So I'm like, fuck you specifically for that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I lived, I lived that life for three years. Damn. Oh, God. I was forbidden from entering bars. That's fucked. 
<laughs> I couldn't leave the house at night. It was wild. I was like, what was I doing? Did they bust me doing night crimes? <laughs> I don't remember that. They could take the alcohol away from me. I'm not a, I'm not really a huge drinker, but I yeah. need my weed. I need yeah. I need to taste Mary again. <laughs> well, and I mean, how dangerous are the stoners, really? Apparently very. <laughs> you know, driving at a at a vicious uh, 20 miles an hour. <laughs> In a school zone. <laughs> yeah, you know, if they just freely passed out that shit in jails, I think you'd have a much calmer chiller population that would that would be much <laughs> easier to to manage it'd be better than the toilet wine that they were drinking where i was <laughs> <laughs> I didn't i didn't try it but i could smell it <sighs> there's so much more i want to get into that i wish we had all the time for yeah um yeah, the mental health component is uh, mm-hmm. seems really important. Um, we here at Live Like the World is Dying recently did a whole episode that was on mental health first aid. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the big things that got talked about on that episode um, was the importance of community for mental health, yeah. which, you know, not to be all nerdy and sciencey, but from a biological perspective, makes a lot of sense too, because we're mammals wired for community so i'm glad that you're able to engage with community and and that people are giving you that kind of love and support and helping with your mental health in that way yeah thank you um alex if you don't mind can i ask if if well i'll ask you don't have to tell me if you struggled with any you know kind of mental health um you know mental illness or anything around the stress of all of this and oh absolutely yeah without a doubt yeah, it was very difficult. Uh, you know, the, the circumstances around my situation were so, I mean, my pretrial uh, conditions were, were pretty, they put an ankle bracelet on me. Uh, you know, it was bad. And Some I, I, I was, baby. yeah, and I was, I was really suffering for a while there, you know, uh, it was not easy. Um, and I, I, I leaned really heavily on the people closest to me and, uh, uh, you know, it was taxing for everybody. Um, and that's, it, it, that's also by design. I mean, this, the state yeah, is doing definitely. it to you to, to, like I said before, to, to break your, your heart, you know, it, that's what they want because you'll acquiesce and you can be made an example of, uh, and that's, it's really that simple. It's, it's just a brutal system. Um, and it's never clearer than when the eye of Sauron is upon you. You know, because that's what it's like. It's like they they could do this to pretty much anybody. Um, uh, but when they're doing it to you, you really get a taste of mm. the unholy power that they wield uh, over mm-hmm. your over your life, your whole life, every aspect of it. You know, it, it is really wild to just be told what's happening to you and uh, what might happen to you. Um regardless of actual circumstance, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you really just have to look at cases like Alyssa's. If you've been following what's been going on with her, what happened to me, what I, what I actually did and how the state uh, <laughs> retaliated. Um, it, it was very difficult. Uh, I did not handle it very well at times. I gotta mm-hmm. say, and I, I, I was, it was hard for me. It was hard on people close to me uh, for a while. Yeah, for sure. I definitely yeah. had some 
maladaptive problems <laughs> for a little while. Hmm. Yeah, going off of what you said too about how it's done intentionally, that's something that I personally struggled with was like on top of everything that, you know, was putting me down um, in regards to, you know, everything that's going on. There's like this other really weird aspect to it where the state is actively inflicting, um, you know, psychological warfare. And it's like, I'm aware of these tactics. I know what they're doing. I know why they're doing it. And, you know, I, I was, I kept going through this cycle where I was like, what? I, I just felt so stupid and I kept getting so down on myself. Yeah. Like, I, I, you know, I'm actively aware of this. So why, why is it still affecting me? Why am I yeah. still letting it affect me? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, it's all intentional. It's all by design. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a science. They have it down. So yeah. when you, we, I mean, you're still going through this and up until literally today. So was I. So I got to tell you, I mean, just not to, not to, uh, I just. No, what happened today? I want to know. <laughs> well, uh, I want to get to Give that in a second. But first, I want to say to you, um, when you're feeling down on yourself, when you're feeling like, why, why is this affecting me? Why is this working? I know what they're doing. It's because this is what they do. And, and it is a system designed around doing this. And they've been doing it a long time. And you're just, you're just another victim. You know, uh, being knowing you're being victimized doesn't uh, remove you from victimhood, you know? Um, yeah. And I know that's little comfort when you're really going through the thick of it. I, I know, I've been there. Um, but just remember to give yourself the space for that suffering because if you don't, it will find other ways um, to come out of you. When, when you're not, when you're not ready for it, uh, you know, you'll pay for it elsewise. Just try to make yeah. some space, you know? Yeah. No, no, um, that's, that's good advice, especially because I'm really, really, I don't, sorry, not to like toot my own horn <laughs> or be too conceited or anything, but I'm really good at repression. Like I'm really fucking good at it. Yep. Take a lot yep. of pride in that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I hear Alex saying, you can call him and talk to him. And you hear how soothing his voice is. He's nice to talk to. With pipes right. like these. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> call me late at night, Alyssa. <laughs> Tell me oh when God. he worries you. You want to use that voice again? <laughs> <laughs> He's kidding. I go to bed early, so you fuck off. Beta's <laughs> got work. Oh, boy. That just went all kinds of weird directions. Alex, what's your good news? Oh, right. The good news. Uh, my, my attorney contacted me uh, yesterday and, and told me uh, that we have movement on the case. And I have my uh, – essentially what it boils down to is my probation is being terminated two years early. Uh, and I am receiving misdemeanor treatment for the terms of the deal we made. So I will – very soon here as soon, just basically as soon as we get the paperwork uh i will no longer be on probation and i will no longer be a felon um, fun, yeah yeah so andy no is gonna cry himself to sleep tonight on his huge me-shaped <laughs> anatomically correct pillow <laughs> <laughs> i'm buying guns andy guns 
<laughs> yeah, baby. And I can bring mine to your house again. Because that's yeah, the thing uh, I used yeah. to do with you. Totally. Bring your, bring your pew-pews. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So um, I think I'm going to move towards wrapping us up here. But I do want to come back to you, Alyssa, one more time. Uh, you know, we've talked about the the mental health support you need and um, the, you know, ongoing um, fundraisers to... Um, help pay for attorney fees. Um, and I wondered if you would just be willing to talk uh, one last time about any specific fundraisers you have open or if there are things coming up and um, certainly to tell people how they can get a hold of you, you know, find you on social medias and, and whatnot to, you know, learn more about what's going on and to show their love and support for you because everyone on Twitter is loving and supportive and will most certainly say nice things. <laughs> oh yeah. No, Twitter is so good, especially for mental health for sure. Um, it's never been better than it is now. <laughs> um, so on Twitter, people can find me under my full name, just Alyssa Azar. Um, and I'm, I'm more active on Instagram and my handle on there is revolution daddy but the e in revolution is a three so it's r3 and then just spell out revolution daddy um i'm also on mastodon but you know if you go onto any one of those i have a link tree in my bio and um all of my socials are posted there i also have an active fundraiser right now that's um also in my bio so you can find my fundraiser on my twitter or my instagram um, I'm also going to be planning a, another fundraiser soon where, uh, some stuff will be up for sale and whatnot, but, um, I don't have like a date for any of that yet. So nice. I'll, I'll post that on my socials once I have all that information. Hey, gotcha. I, I want to sell the beta cuck armor for you. <laughs> I'm going to sell we the armor. Many, many interested buyers. It still smells like. <laughs> Me. Please don't Cut. finish that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did it though. No, uh, 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 yeah, no, for real though. For real though. Yeah, if you're listening and you want to look uh, like a felon, <laughs> it's for a good cause. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Appreciate you uh, throwing some some swag in the mix there. So, uh, how can here, folks I'm find here. you on on the social beads, or do you want them to, Alex? No, oh, I um. I, uh, you can, I, I'm a ghost. You, you need a seance to reach me these days. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, uh, I got kicked off of Twitter when Elon Musk took over. Congrats. So I'm not on Twitter anymore. <laughs> I was in the first wave. It's a point of pride. I got a tattoo. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm on Mastodon. Uh, you can find me at Beta Cuck for Life as usual. You know, uh, the Mastodon user is there. They're a lot more woke, so people regularly tell me that my handle is problematic, and I'm like, it's a thing. Um, you know, they don't understand what I've been through. Uh, so that's a very confusing handle to be. To be fair, well, you know, I do love explaining things. So <laughs> everybody wins. <laughs> And y'all can find uh, me personally on Twitter or Mastodon if you want to yeah. at Ogemakwe Brook. 
Um, no, I'm not going to spell my indigenous name for you. Sorry. Um, and you can find the uh, Strangers Collective, who is the one, the, we are the group that publishes this wonderful podcast. Um, we are on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Tangled Wild. We also have a pretty dope website. Um, True. Have you seen our website, Alex? Oh, yeah, I checked y'all out. Shit. We did business. Aww. Thanks. <laughs> you think um, I'm just going to go raw dogging it with some fiction folks? <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a like, drop a comment or a review, and subscribe to us if you haven't already. These things make the algorithms that rule our world offer the show to more people. This podcast is produced by the anarchist publishing collective Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness. Like I said, you can connect with us on Twitter and on Instagram at Tangled Wild. And if you check out our website, you'll discover we have a new book available for order. It's called Escape from Incel Island, written by the one and only Margaret Kiljoy. The work of Strangers is made possible by our Patreon supporters. Honestly, we couldn't do any of the work without their without the support of Patreon. Patrons? Patreonists? <laughs> if you want to become a supporter, check out patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. There are cool benefits at various support tiers. Mm -hmm. For instance, if you support the collective at $10 a month, one of your benefits is getting 40% off of everything on our website, which includes Margaret's new book. We'd like to give a specific shout out to some of our most supportive Patreon supporters. So thanks to Micaiah, Haas the Dog, Cat J, Starro, Chris, Sam, Kirk, Eleanor, Jennifer, and Chelsea, Dana and David, Nicole, Mickey, Paige, and SJ, Sean, Hunter, Theo, Boise Mutual Aid, Melissa, Paparona, and Allie. Thanks for listening. <laughs>